Aloha, you're listening to Abe's Ukulele Podcast. I'm Abe. Today's episode is extra special and extra long, so get ready to hunker down in front of a fire, either real or Netflix, with a nice plate of cookies. I have on the show today two people that I really look up to. They are Craig Sarah and Chi Mizell. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Craig Chi and Sarah Mizell, two incredible teachers and performers. I first had them on the podcast in May of 2017. In this episode, they joined me from San Diego as we talked about their new album, Practicing, Ukulele Festivals, Tangents, and all sorts of good stuff. If you haven't already, I highly recommend you check out their holiday album. You can find it at their website, chimizel.com. They also have an online learning community at artistsworks.com. If you're looking for more support in your journey, that's a good place to start. Those links will be in the show notes. But let's get on with the show. I have on the phone Craig Chi and Sarah Mizell. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this morning. How are you both? Doing absolutely fantastic. Doing great. Awesome. So uh, you have been traveling all over recently and you just came back. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, where you've been recently? Oh my (laughs) gosh. So to be honest, it's like the last four years kind of that all blurs together. Yeah, wow. it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's been, been insane. But this is the first time in four years. This this is the moment. This is the moment. It's all been leading towards yes. four years mm. of work, four years of planning, and now we are just relaxing and cleaning and getting ready for the baby. <laughs> yes, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, but I think yeah, this past weekend was our final gig of the year, and that was yeah. with our friends Heidi uh, Heidi Swedberg and Daniel Ward at McCabe's. They called it McUke Fest, um, and it was an intimate lo- intimate festival that was a lot of fun. One day event in up in Santa Monica, yeah. but I mean this year we've been to, we did Berlin, we were in England, we were in Hawaii. We just got back from Tampa too. Actually. Oh yeah, and the Tampa Bay ukulele, fe- like yeah, so all all over. It's been a ton yeah. of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Well, I mean, I, I was gonna make a um a post uh probably later this week, kind of showcasing all of our different um Delta membership uh status card things and just being so proud of of what we've been able to do and and so grateful for for uh, the people who run these events that that yeah. allow us to to share our love with the instrument and uh, our music. Yeah, we feel mm. so incredibly lucky, and we. We have so many people, so many people to thank uh, for the fact that we've been able to do this as a career and travel. And it's just been amazing. All of these lifelong friends we've made. Uh, and it's not like we're not going to travel next year, but it just it won't be quite uh, it won't be every single weekend somewhere new. <laughs> yeah, that sounds crazy um so for those listeners that don't know craig and sarah are expecting their first baby next year or this year i can't remember well the due date's january 8th but he is actually really big so (laughs) i think that he might arrive early i just have a Mm. feeling so we'll see into Mm -hmm. the year or the very beginning of next year well, a very big uh, congratulations to you. Thank uh, I you. wish you the Thank best you. of luck. Let me know, of course, if you need anything. I have four of my own, so uh, I have no idea what <laughs> yes. I'm doing. But 
<laughs> I might have something I can offer. I don't know. So uh, back to ukulele. We were talking about festivals, and I was wondering what is, and you can do a top five list if you want, but what was the best ukulele festival you've ever taught at? And what made it oh, so that's good? So hard. Oh, that's hard. Well, you kind of you kind of mentioned you know when when you emphasize taught at because there are a lot of events where teaching is not a big thing at all, and there's uh, for us you know as teachers we love we love integrating that teaching side of it. So some of our favorites I think are the ones that have a heavier emphasis on the the teaching aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, True, like Port Townsend, I love for mm-hmm. that reason, right? Because that one it's like you are teaching all of the time. Um, Tunes in the Dunes is another really good one for that teaching aspect as yes, well. I, I think we gravitate towards those that ha- that have just like a ton of workshops mm-hmm. during the day and, and seeing everyone kind of use that for their performances at night is always incredibly fun. But I also, I think one of my favorite international ones though is the uh, it's small, but it's the Berlin Ukulele Festival because mm-hmm. the people there are charged up. Yeah. Like they are so excited to be learning. They are so excited to just be there. And they're the friendliest, nicest people. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the international ones, the yeah. energy is so high. Oh, yeah. And Sunshine Coast Australia is yeah. amazing. And you have Gnuff, you know. Oh, yeah, Northern, yeah. And Cheltenham was just... one of my favorites for a long time, yeah, too, I, in the UK. I, I, like, all of the international ones have always been top notch in the sense of just and again you know the the, the crazy thing about that uh is again like i always think um some of the best festivals are just really well-run events in general yeah you know so um it it, it all ties in together it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you know how long they've been in the ukulele scene or not if they've been running good events or they know how to do it or they know right. how to to you know have a crew that really supports each other. It's oh, so like ben, easy to see. You, yeah. you, the, I mean, the volunteers that uh, Bob Rasmussen has for that particular festival. It's I'm always amazed at how organized they are, and they are really just on top of every aspect. And as an artist, it's amazing to just show up and they say, "Here's your packet. Here's <laughs> you know, here's the codes so that you can use the projector. Here's this, this, this. If you need cables for anything, here are all of our yeah, adapters." There's no better feeling than showing up to an event and not having, just having everything taken care of so that you can focus on mm. your teaching, focus on your performances. Yeah. If you have to worry about, you know, you know, just other things that that aren't together, that's always, yeah. you know. Or some people, I, I think there was one event where we weren't sure if there was a sound system or not. When no. we showed up, there was one, but it just they did. They said, "Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out." And I'm like, "I don't. Mm-hmm. I know <laughs> we'll figure it out, but that just is stressful yeah. to hear." Yeah, it puts more work on your shoulders. Yeah, oh, man. That's rough. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like that as a teacher. Yeah, totally. Hmm. So you're talking about teaching at festivals. Have you ever attended a festival? And uh, if you have, what would be one of your top like the things that stood out to you in a festival as an attendee? We got to attend the Ukulele Festival of Great Britain one year, mm. and that one mm, right. I had. St- it was so much fun to be able to be just help out and be a part of things. We basically acted as volunteers. We, we, 
we went around with um, fake mustaches on. We um, did. <laughs> Jokingly being incognito. But it was fun to like just go up. Like there's jams that happened everywhere. So like we'd go up and play with people. Or I sat in on a couple of classes because there were a couple of teachers that I'd, I'd always wanted to um, be in their class. But I was always teaching when they taught. So it was really great to sit in. I think it was Abe Lagrimus and maybe Phil Dolman, I think. Mm, But it was just nice. I love getting to sit in on other people's classes because Mm. you I still learn a lot um, anywhere and everywhere I go. And, you know, no matter what level of player you are, I love attending classes because sometimes teachers will say something that will make something click or or. Like Abe said several things that made me go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's a great way of presenting, you know, this idea, et cetera. And it's just it's so awesome that with music or any art, I guess you just you don't stop learning. And it's so cool. See, I, I love just walking around and, and sitting next to people who have no idea who I am and just like chatting and <laughs> and even and, and helping them out. Uh, it's one of the things where like, especially, you know, when you're on stage teaching, like everyone is so serious and, you know, they have to <laughs> focus and everything. And I love just like walking around and actually like helping random people with, with like chord shapes and, and things that I see them or bar chords, you know, I see them struggling with it and and just having them in a different atmosphere mm-hmm. than that, that classroom setting is always nice oh and then i mm-hmm. love in the vendor area i love helping people find their instrument oh, there's yeah. nothing Ooh. more magical yeah. than like seeing somebody who's struggling between like two or three instruments and then going do you need some help and usually what I, what i do in that situation is i'll be like okay you need to close your eyes and i'm going to play all three of these and you got to pick which one you know speaks to you mm. um, and i'll play the exact same thing on each one and we'll go through and whittle it down and just seeing the excitement when they finally find their baby is so much fun mm-hmm. um, so i also love doing that kind of stuff hanging out in the vendor area and helping folks pick out um, instruments and other stuff because it's just so cool. Mm. Wow, that sounds great. That's a really good idea. I'd never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do tell people that, like, um, you know, just last week somebody mm-hmm. asked me, I need an ukulele. And I'm like, uh, how much can you spend? And then he told me, and then he's like, where should I go? And I was like, uh, go to Mimzooks because you live in Virginia. And he's like, what? Where's right. that? And then, um, yeah, I do tell people just play it but mm-hmm. uh actually it helps to have someone else involved in it that has a little more experience uh yeah even even just playing and then being able to hear the subtleties mm-hmm. between yeah. two very similar but sometimes well, completely secret, different ukuleles the mm-hmm. secret is that you make them describe it you don't mm-hmm. say what you hear you know so ah. and you even at, like in tampa sarah and i made so many trips to the vendor area because you know people had questions about you because i'm like well Let's play. I'll play these different ukes for you. You tell me what you hear differently, and I make mm-hmm. them close their eyes so they're not distracted by like the really curly koa or <laughs> right. Exactly because it's like don't look at the looks. Yeah. Listen. Don't look at the price tag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 they they're surprised by sometimes their favorite one isn't the most expensive. Right. Hmm. Wow. No, that's a good idea. That's perfect. I will have to use that. Someday. <laughs> Please do. Um, like, what's the difference between spruce and rosewood? It sounds like this. You tell mm-hmm. me. Because um, yeah. I can't even. Exactly. I, I can't even really describe the wood differences. But uh, yeah, every time it, it comes up, I end up googling like everything just to see. Most of the time, it's it has to do with <laughs> guitars. But um, yeah. 
And then once you play it, that's when you really know. So that's a good tip. Great tip. Mm-hmm. Play it and have, just describe it for yourself to help you find whatever yeah. ukulele you want. And it, you don't have to have, you don't have to play something fancy. Like a lot of times I just play a Hawaiian vamp mm-hmm. because it's just like, here's three chords. Yeah. Here's how they sound on each instrument. Yeah, and, and I always tell them, try to describe it like you're describing wine. Mm-hmm. Um, because you you don't you want to get away from just your typical oh it sounds bright oh it sounds dark but you know something that connects with you more that you're actually hearing the the subtleties like mm-hmm. you said mm-hmm. nice so moving on from festivals <laughs> you've been all over the world for the last four years um, I was wondering how do you have time to practice and what are some of your practice tips especially. <laughs> When you have what I think is a very busy schedule, at least up until this point, um, do you have any practice tips? Practice tips is all about prioritizing what you need to do or what's important at that point of time. Um, if if you don't have, you know, a performance coming up, or you don't have, you know, that, or or, or needing like a bunch of songs ready why spread yourself thin and try to get like 10 songs under your belt you know again i would prioritize either getting like you know really focusing on one song and just like getting it so down that you never have to really think about it again later you know it's it's um or if i'm learning a song and there's something really tricky i'll spend most of my day just practicing that one hard spot rather than trying to play the whole song you know it's all about prioritizing what's important and for us with the travel schedule we haven't had time to write a lot of new things um, because of that and so you know taking some time off to do you know the holiday album which was really really nice Um, we're actually excited to to start writing for another big album next year which is going to be all originals Mm. um yeah Yeah. so it's just it's fun because again we we you have to be so ready for that next kind of event. And especially if we're playing with um, uh, hired uh, backline people, like if we have a bassist and a drummer that's going to be there for the gig that we've never met before. A lot of times we're just focused on, you know, why experiment with completely new stuff when, you know, we want to make sure we're as stable and, and, and right. set as possible for these, these kind of gigs. And I know for me, um, when we're on the road and stuff, I my practice sessions are very short. They're frequent, but short. So I'll have like 10 minutes here, mm-hmm. 15 minutes there, etc. Usually what I'm doing is I'm working on either hard transitions or uh, technique-based things um, whenever I have those little bursts because um, that's the stuff that for me, if I don't work on that stuff uh frequently um i'll tend to lose lose that stuff um and i i just won't play as cleanly as i'd like and so i have to keep up on uh those particular Mm -hmm. things and because i know that about myself and my playing i make sure that you know oh you know we have you know 30 minutes till we need to be downstairs ready to teach i'm going to take 15 minutes and just do some quick scales or work on you know this portion of this song because i i always mess up on this one spot so let's see if i can nail it tonight um that kind of that's kind of how i deal with practicing on the road and then you know it's a bummer i wish i could write on the road i I have all of these half written songs Mm 
where it's like, I have a chorus here and a verse there, or I just have like a progression here or whatever. So I agree with Craig that it's going to be so nice to be home, even with a little one, you know, and just I'll be able to just write and Mm -hmm. it's going to be just so awesome. But I do feel like uh, whenever we are learning something new, the physical part of it, it can always be broken up into two big, two big elements um, where I feel like one is going to be a weird combination of fingers that you're using that you're not used to. Mm-hmm. And the second one would be a stretch that you're not used to doing. And sometimes it's not necessarily a long stretch. It's just a stretch between two different fingers that you're not used to doing that makes it hard to get down. Um, so with that said, that's why you see a lot of us still doing exercises, still right. doing these different things that work on a stretch and the manipulation of all four fingers. Um, as well as uh, not just left hand, but also right hand yeah. stuff too, uh, especially if you you know, you know use multiple fingers for picking and things. Or even I still have to sit down and practice double picking with my thumb, even though I don't use it very often. But that's one technique that I am sloppy on because yeah. I'm so used to using multiple fingers, whereas Craig, he is really good at double picking. In fact, that's who taught me how to do it. So it's one of those where you know, working on both hands is super important. Yeah. And, and again, I, I do feel like, well, so that's the you know, physical side is that, and, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're not necessarily just practicing songs all the time. It's, it's no. these exercises that we know that will touch on, on all the other stuff mm-hmm. that we're doing to make it easier. You know, and the other side of that is the, the more uh, mental side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times when we're trying to learn songs, once we understand the progression itself or understand the shape of the song, then everything starts to kind of fall into place. But again, I, I think, especially when we, when we start, we were so tunnel vision minded on, on learning and playing these songs that we, we tend to forget that there is this overall theme. There is a, a the body behind the song that that will hint and and help us especially if we get lost you know we can really you know understanding it is so much more important to me now uh, compared to when i first started um to use those patterns to to really um just connect everything and it, it makes playing that much easier with that in mind yeah and the other part too is that especially when we're on the road and I don't have we don't have much practice time it's rare we actually will sit there and practice a full song we a lot mm. of times we'll say okay this is the part of the song that's tricky we're only going to rehearse this mm-hmm. part and we'll rehearse it over and over and over again then we'll move on to another part the great thing about doing that is that you're playing parts of the song out of order so if you do mess up you don't have to you remember when you first started playing you'd learn a song and the beginning was really really good and then as you got towards the end, it wasn't quite as good. Or if mm-hmm. you messed up, you'd have to start over from the beginning again. So mm-hmm. this is sort of our trick of work on songs out of in bits and pieces out of order. Because if something happens and you do mess up, you can jump back on a lot easier. Well, again, thinking of those patterns. So like the verse has a pattern. The right. chorus has a pattern. And, and breaking it up in that in those blocks. Yeah. And lots of repetition. I know that's that's real big from when uh, Craig and I uh, studied classical music and we're in orchestras and stuff. I remember the conductor just like, again, 
Again, for measure I, nine. I, again. I learned like zero theory playing cello. Like, I mean, Same, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're just following notes. <laughs> it's so different. You're it's really good so at sight reading. I'm really good at mm-hmm. sight reading. Yeah. You know, really good at that seen a dot and knowing and can tell what, what to Keith, do with that dot. And you can read what key you're in because <laughs> yes. you're so used to reading music. Oh my gosh. But yeah, all, all the theory I know you too, Craig, I would say 90% of the theory yeah. we learned has been on ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. So the ukulele oh has gosh. unlocked so much more. Oh, traditional I mean, education. <laughs> oh yeah, like, well, like piano. Like I never thought about chords and piano. I, I get, yeah. I'm just watching what the music tells me to play. You know, it's such right. a different, a different uh, twist with that. Well, right. And you also like, you don't, with the kind of piano lessons that I took, I know I wasn't learning jazz chords. Like it was all just mm-hmm. triads mm-hmm. and maybe the occasional dominant chord, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. I just mm. saw the dots and I played the chord. See, my first time <laughs> playing the cello out of context of like a big orchestra or a quartet was with um, Lorenzo when he was on tour here and we stopped by um, the Watkins uh, family and oh, they had a cello. Wat- Watkins uh, family hour? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's our friends Laura and Jim. They have a walnut grove that's just yeah, stunning. We, what song did uh, I record with them? Gosh, everybody wants to rule the world, I think. Mm. But that was the first song? time actually thinking about how the cello part would fit without necessarily you know, thinking of, of that orchestral kind of arrangement with that. But mm-hmm. that was the first time I used that cello in that vein, and it was so fun. Well, I remember <laughs> this. The, I was in high school. I went to a specialty arts high school in Birmingham, Alabama, called the Alabama School of Fine Arts. And mm-hmm. I was actually a theater major there, but I hung out a lot with the music students um, because I still played violin and everything, and I'd bring my violin to to school and play with those guys. And I remember they they were starting to get into playing some jazz stuff. And they're like, come on, Sarah, solo. And I remember being so petrified because I didn't have sheet music. Mm-hmm. I had nothing. And as a classically trained musician, that was like the most terrifying thing ever. You know, because I just was like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, just play, just play, mm-hmm. use your ear. And I'm like, and I remember panicking. <sighs> Luckily, I had really great friends who were super supportive. And actually, I think it was like two years ago that we actually did some violin and cello with um, Danielle Ate the Sandwich. That's right. Yeah, we songs. did a small tour with her, mm. and I brought my violin. That was a lot of fun. Craig brought uh, the cello, but you also, I think, brought a bass as well. I think, I, no, at that time, I think I used the cello as the bass for right, some right, songs. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. That was a lot of fun. So uh, <laughs> we started talking about practice tips. Uh, oh, I love, that's right. I love where this went. Um, talking about musicality and uh, really feeling the music and memorizing mm-hmm. it and uh, not necessarily yep. needing sheet music. I, I've always loved the moment when you're really focused on the sheet music, whether it's in choir or an orchestra, and then eventually, hopefully... Um, you realize what the song sounds like. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. your part yeah. by itself, whether it's the melody or not, it doesn't really sound that good a lot of the times. But then mm-hmm. you hear then it in you the bigger have picture. Like, yeah, you have all the other parts. And then in my experience, practicing and rehearsing, you don't really get it. Um, and the, one of the things that helped me is just hearing the song performed by another group. Um, Mm. whether it's, you know, singing or not, most of my experiences with singing and, uh, I often just sing bass. So that's, 
you know, my experience is not very melodic most of the time. <laughs> but then when you hear everything put together, whether it's like mm. everybody's in a circle and you can hear every part very clearly, um, mm -hmm. that's those are all the moments that I can call on to feel like the sheet music is coming alive. I don't need it so much because I know what the song sounds like. And I know yeah. not just from the paper. I know when I'm supposed to play what based on everybody else. Um, yes. And that, that, those are the kinds of experiences that I want my students to experience. But it's uh, it's hard to orchestrate. Um, it's hard to put together. <laughs> so anyway, one, so one one yeah. extra one extra tip. Uh, mm -hmm. practice tip I used to drive down from Eugene Oregon to, to LA to visit my brother a lot during college wow. and one of the That's things I started to do yeah I, I I would listen to just like two or three CDs that's it over mm -hmm. and over and over and over but what I would try to do uh, out loud was actually try to call out the different progressions that were that I was hearing mm-hmm mm. So that instead of just hearing the song, I was thinking, okay, that sounds like you're going from the the root chord to the four or mm -hmm. to the five, and and trying to hone in on what those jumps sound like, so that mm -hmm. I could apply it to others. You know, I I could just jump in a, in a circle and and just start playing. You know, so part of it was really, you know, using the the, the things that we have available, listening to the music over and over but listening to different things and trying to analyze, again, the progression itself or trying to hear. Uh, the root movement. That's something yeah. that I, as for singing sometimes in the car, especially if I'm running errands or um, doing or we're driving or touring or doing something, I'll actually try to just sing root notes um, mm -hmm. as the song is going on, trying to, trying to match and see if I can figure out the progression just by singing the roots of the chords. Some songs are more, much more difficult than others, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot. I find it, it's like a fun game. I also enjoyed on a similar vein, I would take like the Abersold play alongs. Uh, I have a ton of the Jimmy Abersold jazz play along things and I would put those in the car and I would do the same thing and then or I would practice like soloing ideas vocally is another thing great way of just sort of yeah. you know going through seeing if you can create some really interesting melodic movement using you know sort of your original instrument which is your voice right so mm -hmm. that's another yeah. thing great or way if to you practice. hear something that stands out yeah. you know, try to figure out what that is like to me, going to the 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 one chord to the three dominant. Oh yeah, that always is sounds always nice. a crazy, mm. you know, uh, 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 kind of jump. But once you get it down, you hear it in so many different songs. Oh you know, yeah, and, and just it, like analyzing what that feeling is, so that again, when that thing jumps out for me, that because again, that's a, that's not a typical. No, because change. the three chord should be a minor, and yeah. if you're making it a dominant, like yeah, it's but, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's different, and it's a tasty mm -hmm, earworm. Yeah. So like when people play um like five foot two when they go from the C to that E seven, it's right. always that that fun kind of like why does that sound so different and so cool, mm -hmm. you know? But right. it's, it's memorizing because that's what that one to three dominant sounds like, and and again, and applying it can make that you a better so you songwriter. That, yeah. Yeah, because you'll remember the stuff, and you're like, "I like how that felt," yeah. and you can add it to your songs. Mm -hmm. Awesome, yeah, this is a lot of great stuff. Hopefully, um, hopefully, it it all makes sense to our listener. <laughs> oh my gosh! One I, more, one I, more I practice tip. The... One more... <laughs> okay, go ahead. What? All right, so, practice tips. So <laughs> we're in it. When when you're when you're in the circle, when you're in your jams, 
again, one of the things we always tell people, if you're at that point where you want to start being able to transpose or, or, or really think about the theory side of it, when you have your, your sheet music in front of you, let's say you're in the key of C, so you have a lot of Cs, you have a lot of Fs, a lot of G7s, a lot of A minors, etc. If you have some of that theory under your belt, start writing next to those letters the actual uh, number of what chord mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. playing. So like next to the C, add a one. Next to the Fs, add a four. You know, for the G7s, add a five. And what you want to start doing is analyzing and thinking about, okay, that song has a chorus that's a, like a one, four, five progression for that chorus. Just like all these other songs in your songbook that you can start looking at those numbers, even if they're in different keys, you know, cause that's the, that's that, that's the yeah. big issue when I first started was once you change keys, I, I, I tried to memorize it as a completely different Right. Thing. Even though mm -hmm. it actually has a pattern <laughs> yeah. that's in common, you don't notice it in the beginning that, you know, yeah. oh, just because I'm in the key of C on this song, you know, and I can move to this other song where it's in the key of G. Well, actually, yeah. they, it's the same progression, just in another key. So, and mm -hmm. that's for me going to be a huge breakthrough for a lot of people once they start doing that and realizing how similar all of these songs in their songbook are, yeah, mm -hmm. just in different keys or, or or mixed up a little bit differently, right? Um, and that again ties into kind of getting things a little bit more memorized because you have that pattern behind it. Yeah. And also, I think jams are a great time for practicing chords in other positions and substitution mm -hmm. chords because, you mean, you do not need to play the exact same thing as your neighbor. In fact, no. you probably shouldn't because <laughs> you're not adding, you're not necessarily adding, you know, a new level of musicality to it. Or it's mm -hmm. a great time if you are going to play the same chords as your neighbor, try out a different picking pattern or different strum pattern. Um, because it's just the, I love jams because they're great. It's a, it's a, I look at jams as practice time. So, and uh, it makes the jams more fun, I think, when you practice mm. at them. Mm. And what All will right, happen so. to you if you mess up? Nothing. You, you get so kicked out try. of the jam circle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the ring of fire. Um, okay. So that's a lot of really great practice tips. Um, I don't know if I will dare to summarize it right now, but uh, the things that really stand out to me are just, um, well, everything. <laughs> uh, practicing. Oh, so you were talking about practicing in little spurts because yes. uh, you don't mm -hmm. always have time. Mm -hmm. And then earlier you were talking about songs stuck in your head. And I was wondering, because uh, I'm in this situation now and I'm trying to work through it also, uh, a creative rut uh, that mm. you get stuck in. Um, what do you do? Or, uh, let me say that again. What do you do when you are stuck creatively or even just with your practice? You don't know what to do. Um Right now, I just started a, a seasonal UPS job. The hours are kind of crazy. It goes until January, I believe. Um, the structure, I feel, has kind of helped me to have more routine. So in one way, it's making me a little more creative. But at the same time, it doesn't help the problem that I had before, which is I don't always find the time I need to just work mm -hmm. on these things. Um, I have episodes of the podcast that I... Still have to release from Hawaii. Uh, my writing and my practicing has been kind of slow. So the real question is, as I keep talking forever, <laughs> what mm -hmm. 
What do you、mm-hmm. do when you are stuck in a rut? Okay, so my question to you would be again, what is your priority? Like, what, what, if you had the time, all the time in the world, what is the first thing? What is your first goal? Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to kind of go off from what Craig is saying there, for me, sometimes writing down what my goals are on a note card, because sometimes、mm. you get stuck in a rut because you don't, you、no、aren't remembering、goal. your goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, if you have it written down and you look at it, you know, every night before bed, you know, and even if that goal is something simple like playing your C major scale with an alternating G string, I want to have that down by next week,、mm-hmm. right? Because you can have small goals and then you can have like the larger picture goal of like, I remember writing on a note card years ago, I want to tour. In Europe and go to Asia. And I want to do that within five years. Crazily enough, that did get to happen. But I feel like some of the reason why it got to happen was because it's a magic notebook. <laughs> yes, my magic notebook. <laughs> but, but I feel like a lot of that is because I always had that goal in the back、mm-hmm. of my mind.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, even for me, when, you know, back in the day when I, I was trying to, you know, Sloppily go through a, a, a Jake arrangement or something like that. And, and that would be my main goal. But I have all these tiny goals of like get better at the double picking for this part or get better at the, the fast strum for this section or work on this stretch for that section.、Um, and that would kind of help me build all the necessary tools needed for that particular arrangement.、Um, mm-hmm. And then again, being able to pull from it for other songs later. Right.、Um, but,、uh, you know, to me, it's Uh, going back to the whole prioritizing thing, that's, that has to be the main thing you look at so that you can give yourselves these mini steps. Because everything that you know, that we do are all could be stripped down to the most basic kind of exercise. you know All of these things are all these techniques, they're all based on these very small things that we do, but we just add either speed or Uh, the transitions to get there is going to be a little bit different, but that, that's it. You know,、uh, we still use, you know, the, the ones on stage you see us today, we still use hammer ons and pull offs and slides and same things that, you know, that even beginners can do, but we just use them in different ways and,、right. and we use them.、Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And other、mm-hmm. th- things that I like to do too, and this is totally a non playing thing, is sometimes when I get in a musical rut, I will just say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take the day or half the day and I'm going to sit and listen to my record collection. And I'm just going to enjoy listening to music as opposed、mm-hmm. to trying to analyze it or whatever.、Mm-hmm. Now, honestly, half the time I get super inspired and pull out my instrument and begin trying to play along and trying to figure out half of these songs. But、mm-hmm. that reignites that imagination to just really sit and listen to things that I've always really enjoyed. Because sometimes you just need to take a seat and get re energized by someone else. Now, a、mm-hmm. lot of times, too, I'll tell my students, you know, if you feel like you're in a rut, go back to one of the songs that you, you learned, you know, back when you kind of first started and try to play it 10 different ways. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you have a chance to apply all the different technique stuff that you learned、mm-hmm. into an actual song. Because a lot of times people think, oh, I'm learning this one technique for that one song, and that's it. But being、mm-hmm. able to really include it in your songs that you can already play, that's, 
that's what it's all about you know being able to tell your version of the song um so a lot of times mm-hmm. you know the challenge is yeah play that one song 10 20 different ways and see what you can come up with that we actually just did that for one of the tracks on the holiday album i was thinking the same yeah. thing actually yeah because <laughs> we were experimenting with um oh my gosh it's so we much were, fun i know we were experimenting with sort of different styles and things because some of these songs that we've recorded i mean they've been done eight million times and we would just we mm-hmm. wanted to kind of take a fresh new look at it so we we took some some really fun chances <laughs> on it i think the one you're thinking of a sleigh ride right honey yeah. You know, and we just said, you know what, let's actually try doing this in a way I, I've never heard before. And I felt like, you know, we came up with some really fun arrangements. Well, we even did a, a jazz waltz for one of them, which was oh, yeah. let awesome. It, yeah. Let It Snow. We made it a jazz waltz. White Christmas yeah. wow. is a samba. Like it's it's really <laughs> it's fun to just take those chances um, because mm-hmm. you never know what cool ideas you may come up with. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just it gives you another creative way of you know telling that story wow yeah i can i can resonate with so much of what you just said um i i've been reading a lot of uh medium articles recently and one of the things that came up recently was uh you know just in terms of self-care and giving yourself a break just take 15 minutes and listen to one of your favorite artists and don't do anything else um and it's just it's so nice because I do have a lot of music I like to listen to, but often uh, I'm listening to a podcast or I don't have <laughs> enough time to finish a full song. For example, it's like, oh, I want to listen yeah. to this song and now I have to do this thing. Um, and yeah, just trying to change things up. Um, I'm always kind of there and not there in the rut, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I yeah. write down my goals. I don't always look at them. I have so many ukulele books I want to and don't want to practice at the same time. <laughs> it's like... I should play all the songs in this book, but also I kind of don't want to right now, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. um, part of it is based on my feelings at the time. But um, uh, I really love the idea of just, you know, moving to what inspires you, what you know. Um, so anyway, we are running out of time. <laughs> um, you have an album coming out uh, very, very soon. That is super cool. Um you kind of already talked about it, but uh, it comes out the end of November. Is that right? Yes. We're actually looking at a poten- potentially being able to give out the uh, digital version of it a little bit earlier than anticipated. But yeah, it's supposed mm-hmm. to come out on the 29th. We, we literally just got the master's this morning. Uh, this morning. <gasps> Our friend da- yes. Our friend Daniel That's Ward awesome. actually did the mastering. So oh, we're nice. super excited. Our yeah. good friend Nancy Blowers, who lives down in Florida, she's doing the album artwork. So uh, mm-hmm. we should be getting that artwork from her tonight or tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. And it's just, we're so excited. We've People have asked us to do a holiday album for a long time now. And finally, mm-hmm. we had some time so we could record it. And it's got, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah songs on it. So we're very That's excited. Great. Do you know the um, Adam Sandler Hanukkah song? Yes. Have you heard it? <laughs> oh, so yeah, good. of is, course. Is that on your album? <laughs> no. Unfortunately, no. What, oh, we, did two, we did two traditional songs. So we did Oh Hanukkah, Oh Hanukkah. But that one's sung in English. And the other one is Sivivan, mm-hmm. which is sung mm-hmm. in Hebrew. That's cool. I, I just actually heard of, uh, I think it's Fiddler on the Roof is being performed mm. somewhere in Yiddish. I forgot oh, where that wow. is. But it That's was the first awesome. time I heard of that. I'm like, well, yeah. I would really love to see that. 
Um, really anyway, cool. totally different tangent. Uh, we're talking about Hanukkah yes. songs and then Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof. Um, okay, sorry. so uh, I'm very sorry to do this to you, but um, <laughs> probably my favorite question, I've saved it for last. Uh, Ooh. But um, <laughs> uh, so you are a couple that I think perfectly captures the mainland and the island styles of ukulele playing. So I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the differences between those two and mm-hmm. how they complement each other. So I feel that a lot of the, especially the, uh, I guess, Craig, you call it sort of golden age Hawaii music, yeah? I feel like a lot of that has, uh, it has a lot of influence from jazz and swing music. Mm. Um, and so that swing feel is something that I definitely think is uh, something that you you see in both mainland music and Hawaiian style music. And there's that. And a lot of the voicings you hear folks like Brian Tolentino use, um, there are a lot of jazz voicings as well that yeah. you find in some of that music. Well, that's what was popular, mm-hmm. you know, back then. Yeah. And, and especially in Hawaii, I feel like there were these, you could see and hear these different changes, like from, from that golden age to like, then you have like these really beautiful, uh, you know, kind of solo players like Ultasan and, oh, and, yeah. and, you know, how that inspired so many. And then you get into like the, the Troy Fernandez stuff, which led to Pure Heart and Jake and, and mm-hmm. um, groups like that. But then you have the next thing, which is the influence of all the kind of more reggae um, mm-hmm. vibe and, and, and where the ukulele does kind of play a back seat, but it's still present in so much of that, that, uh, the mixes in that but it, it is interesting that just in hawaii itself how much the ukulele has changed and kind of goes back and forth like i i do feel like because of the popularity of the instrument globally people in hawaii are kind of experimenting more and, and kind of going back to to using these lush you know four note four note chords and everything voicings yeah. and and these old school um kind of uh arrangements you know of it, it really showcasing the musicality of this tiny instrument mm-hmm. um well and listening to even not just the instrument uh harmonies but vocal harmonies if you listen to a mm-hmm. lot of those older hawaiian yeah. style songs i mean the mm-hmm. harmonies that they do are just absolutely beautiful and i like bands like nahoa they have just amazing harmony there's so many there's so many amazing musicians that Mm -hmm. um have come out of hawaii and are still you know still performing and it's like there's so i don't think we have enough time for me to like list everyone but it's just there's so (laughs) much beautiful music and it's all about um the harmonies they use vocally that go with the various instruments they play not just ukulele but you know guitar and bass and it's Mm -hmm. just it's such a rich and when you say hawaiian music that's such a broad term now because Mm -hmm. the music has been around for so long and there's like truly truly traditional Mm -hmm. music and then you have sort of the more contemporary side and it's such a it's the transitions that you hear and see are just it's so beautiful getting to hear that expanse of music uh from such a wonderful place yeah, and and speaking of like the mainland style of it, I mean, because Sarah did learn from an amazing jazz uh, 
ukulele player up here in San Diego. Well, he was from he was from Hawaii, yeah. so he played a lot of that sort of more what mm. you hear like Lyle. He grew up listening to Lyle Ritz yeah. and things like that. Mm. Um, but you know, there's a lot of really great things I've learned from Craig because he grew up there, and I didn't listen to some of the more contemporary music that he listened to, and I love, you know, utilizing you know, the tuning of the instrument, not just playing low G, because I did do a lot of low G playing early on. And it's mm -hmm. really, you know, there's a reason the instrument is tuned the way it's tuned. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, and I do feel like I was incredibly lucky that at that point in time when I came up on the mainland for college and, and, and being in Eugene, Oregon, where there was, there was an incredible music scene. And I used to sit in with like, with people from all different styles and being able to, Kind of be exposed to all that while still having the origin of my kind of um, roots from Hawaii and was able to really kind of mix that in with that and, and have a lot of fun with it. I think I, I was just in a very, very fortunate position to do so. Mm -hmm. mm. That sounds awesome. Oh, man, I wish I could just keep, you know, going between <laughs> Hawaii and uh, my home back and forth. <laughs> I have this dream to like one day live there, but you know, everybody tells me it's expensive and it's crowded and no, <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's a different topic. Um, well, you guys could always just come down to San Diego, you know, mm -hmm. we can have some Mai Tais on the beach, call it good. <laughs> yes, we, I, we, I have been told by folks that have moved from Hawaii to the mainland that San Diego is uh, as close as they can get to home, it's still a bit chilly. It's dry and dry. Mm. But and the, the their biggest complaint <laughs> was that the ocean is so cold. See, the funny thing is, like I I would say you you know Oregon in the Northwest. I feel more at home in the Northwest because of how wet it is. Because in Manoa, mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> where oh, I grew up, true. it's always raining. So I was used to that mm. kind of lush. dampness. <laughs> yeah, it's lush and green. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking and of uh, cold and uh, San Diego, <laughs> San Diego being colder, uh, the other day here in Connecticut, it was colder in the morning than Nome, Alaska, which made me oh. feel just fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. gosh! Yeah, it was like uh, it was like twenty here, and it was twenty six oh in Alaska. Uh, oh I mean, of course, that's just a you know just oh an interesting gosh. thing, but um. Yeah, New England's That's always kind of like up and down. Like, you know, you'll have a heat stroke one day and then you'll freeze the next. That kind of, you know, it's fun. Roller coaster. Now, <laughs> now with it being that cold, what are some of the things you do to keep your instrument safe out of curiosity? Um, I keep them in their case all the time because I have kids. <laughs> but um, they, they, have, they have humidifiers and uh, I have a heater in the room it mm -mm. it doesn't get too swingy in okay. the space where i keep them um right now it's 32 percent humidity in this room oh. so i do monitor the room's humidity yep. and um two of my cases have electronic hygrometers so i can just always know what mm -hmm. is going on um but for the most part i don't worry too much uh during the year it's fine it's just when in the winter, I, I'm sure I can get a heater that doesn't dry out the air so much, but mm. um, it's hard. Yeah, it's though. mostly with the outside. Sometimes actually it feels colder inside than it does outside because of the swings. You know, uh. like my my space has somehow kept colder than outside. Mm. I, I don't know how to explain that, but um, mm -hmm. it's pretty stable inside. It doesn't swing too much. 
Nice. Yeah, here, I mean, we complain when it gets to like 55 uh, in temperature. <laughs> We're like, oh, That's it's That's like so shorts weather for me. <laughs> yes, I know. But I mean, but our, but our humidity though, I mean, it has gotten as low as 30%. 25%. Mm. And so we have to be in it. And then the next day it might be 50%. So we mm-hmm. really do have to um, take care of the instruments. And we have uh, the humidity, uh, I forget what you call it, but we we just, we have things all throughout the house so we can check what the humidity is in each room mm-hmm. uh, because we tend to leave the instruments out so that we can just mm-hmm. pick them up and play. But sometimes it's like, oh, they've all got to go in the office that has the good humidifier mm-hmm. because it's too dry. Mm. No, I I, yeah. I know you have to to head out, but as a as a teacher, I'm I'm just super curious. What has been your favorite teaching story? My favorite teaching story. Oh man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> do you know Wolfpack the band? No. <gasps> okay. First of all, you need to listen to Wolfpack. They're okay. very very good. It's like funk soul um it really just makes you want to move their bass player is just incredible they're all pretty incredible too um but um uh the first thing that came to mind after the story i already told you about the student who was commenting on we switched from big Mm -hmm. classes to small group classes and Mm -hmm. he was like you know this is amazing i learned so much more um the next thing i thought of was last year um the entire school where i teach um we sung the song Christmas in LA, which mm. is my, in my opinion, the best Christmas song ever, uh, Ooh. tied with Mariah Carey, of course. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, d- I don't get sick of that song. It's so funky. And, uh, awesome. we sang it with the kids. It's not like a big light bulb moment. It was more like, you know, we taught them and they did it. Um, and I, I got some friends and we played it live. Um, Aww. but yeah, that was really awesome. Cause it's a fun nice. song. Cool. It's a lot of fun. So you should you should look it up. It's a good song. Will do. Nice. <laughs> um, awesome. So last thing before I go, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, your top two ukulele and non-ukulele related albums to leave our listeners with some homework. I've already said Christmas in L.A., um, <laughs> but um, do you have anything that's more ukulele focused? I mean. Lyle Ritz's How About Uke to me is always a go-to as far as ukulele albums go. I love that one so, so much. And actually, you know which one has been? There's been one that's been in my car for the last, well, since it came out, I guess, um, earlier this year. And it's Abla Grimus's most recent album. It's so, for me, it's so inspiring and just beautifully done. And Mm -hmm. it's just uh, and you know that's it lives in my car. That and Brian Tolentino's though his is a fairly old one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I keep waiting for well, him. He is fairly old. Oh honey, no, no. <laughs> so bad, so bad. I keep I keep hearing about Craig, uh, you know, chasing him around with these old jokes. Oh poor Brian, I'm surprised he's still friends with us. No, Brian, I'm kidding. If you're listening, he's... we love you. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do. We, we do. do. He knows. He knows. He knows how much we love him. And. But uh, his al- his album and Abe's are always in my car. What about you, hun? I I just I just love everything. I I, ser- I, I just put my iTunes thing on on shuffle, and I just 
because again, I what I love about the randomness of that is that especially, well, like you said, you don't have time to always listen to mm-hmm. music, and so for me, mm-hmm. instead of just listening to the same thing over and over now, it's it's I love hearing things I haven't heard in years, but then analyzing how I would hear it differently now yeah. with, with all the experience and knowledge, yeah. you know, and, and again, it changes, it changes how you appreciate mm-hmm. it. It's true. It changes what you hear them do that you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was such a cool mm-hmm. change or transition yeah. or, or progression. And it just, you appreciate it so much more. So I love kind of going mm-hmm. back and just listening to things mm-hmm. I grew up with and, and yeah. really giving it a fresh take. Yeah, I, you know what I have to say? One of my favorite composers is uh, Ben Folds. And, mm. oh, um, yeah. and I just, I love like any anything pretty much that he's put out, whether it's with Ben Folds 5 or just him on his own. But I actually gained a new appreciation for his music, the more theory and stuff that I learned, and the more that mm-hmm. I would like listen to his music and try to play along and try to come up with... Um, you know ukulele arrangements for some of his stuff because it's so complex and it's so just he's so good and i just mm-hmm. i some he, i listen to a lot of his stuff when i need to get re-inspired because it's mm. it's so tasteful and um i just i love i love his work um mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's really good i He's one of those artists that I always feel like I don't listen to him enough. He's so good. And then when yeah. I listen to him, it's like, yes, so good. I need to listen more. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, but I mean, like, like that's some of the, the the CDs that were stuck in my car going from Oregon to, to L.A. were like, um, you know, again, anything from the Kyle Crater Boys to Ekolu mm-hmm. to, to Hapa, uh, oh, just yeah, fantastic Hapa. stuff that... You know, we were so lucky to to have been uh, on the radio growing up. Nowadays, it's so different on the radio. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, definitely. So, uh, Craig, Sarah, it's been so awesome talking to you and catching up. Do you have anything coming up besides your holiday album that you really want people to know about? Just the baby, I guess. The baby. <laughs> and um, actually, we're excited. Craig and I have our online ukulele school with Artist Works, mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing a bunch of new content next year for the school. And we're, we've been doing a lot of discussion of, you know, mm-hmm. which which songs we're going to add, et cetera. Um, because mm-hmm. uh, we're just, the Artist Works gave us the green light to start uh, prepping so that we can do some of those additions. Yeah, so that's something we're fun. really looking forward to is but adding more content awesome. for our school. But I think every month we also try to do a live streams um, yes, on our YouTube right. uh, channel. So that's been going really well. That's been a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I, I signed up for Artist Works. Uh, I haven't really utilized it very well because, <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm kind of in a practice rut where I want to and don't want to practice everything. Um, but it looks awesome. I really oh, needed thanks. like uh, you know something to kickstart me to Mm-mm-mm. really working towards something um, goal wise yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, thanks again for talking to me. This was great. Well, of course, yeah. thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So that's it for this show. There's a whole lot of great stuff in there, isn't there? I hope you got a lot that can help you on your ukulele journey. Whether you're a teacher, a player, or both, this podcast is for you, and it's meant to help you improve. 
and I'd love to hear what you think and what you'd like me to cover in the future. It's really easy to reach me. Just click the feedback link in the show notes. Before you go, I'd like to ask you sincerely to consider supporting the show. I make this podcast in my free time, and it does cost me time and money. As little as $1 per month goes a long way to keep this train rolling. It takes less than a minute to sign up, and monthly supporters get early access and bonus episodes. Thank you for considering it. As always, I'm so glad you could join me today. I'll talk to you next time. Aloha! Thank you.